Welcome to the ministry of First Reformed Church of Aberdeen, South Dakota. Our worship services are at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning. Now we join Pastor Hank Bone as he brings us God's Word. I was reflecting, preparing for this morning, and I was going through question 21, which is always one of those pivotal Heidelberg Catechism questions for us, right? And I don't know about you, but I think it's part of who we are as God's people, and that Christ came not just to save us, but to make our joy full, right? We get that song in our heart. And so what happens is, it drives me crazy, I don't know about you, but I get a stanza in my head, and I can't remember the song. But in thinking about Heidelberg Catechism 21, I had the stanza in my head, I believe, I believe, thank you, Father, I believe. And I couldn't find the hymn anywhere, but the stanza was just over and over in my head. And I was thinking about that and reflecting about that and praying. You know, it's not about that I believe, but it's I believe, I believe. Thank you, Father. I believe. You know, it's not my believing. It's that God has worked that in me. And I'm here because God draws me and God brings me in. And so sometimes, you know, God lays those, those stanzas on our heart. You know, and it makes us glad. It draws us closer to God. Well, we turn to Romans chapter 16. We're on the home stretch. It's been three seasons, I think, two summers, three seasons. And uh, we're going to finally finish. Not today. So I'm going to do the first 16 verses today. And I dare say that these are verses that you may have never heard a sermon on. These are, we kind of get to this end and then usually the ministers move on to something else. But Paul is... is um, is making some final comments, final kind of encouragements to Rome. And we'll, we'll get about, talk about that a little bit in the sermon. But he says here, he says, I commend you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church of Centria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and a sister in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia, to Christ. Greet Mary who labored much for us, greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apellus, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household. Aristobulus, greet Herodian, my countryman. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mind. Greet Asyncritus and Phlegon, uh, Hermas, Petrobus. Hermas and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister 
and Olympus and all the saints who are with them greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Let us pray. Our almighty God and heavenly Father, as we, we come to the, the reading of these uh, words here in Romans chapter 16, and we, we see Paul's pointing out particular individuals, we, we pray that you might help us to, to glean from these, these commendations of Paul, lessons for ourselves. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to take a moment, and I want you to look around, and I want you to consider who in this church has made a real impact on you through their Christian faith, through the, the way they live their lives, through the way they interact. Think about those who, when you were young, you, you looked up to, and you felt that they were someone who loved the Lord, who loved the church, and who loved you. That's a legacy. It's what you leave as your gift or treasure to the next generation or to others. Paul, Paul understood this wonderful treasure that was to be so much a part of the church. In Romans 13, 8, he said, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Of all of the men in the New Testament outside of the Lord, Paul was instrumental as an apostle and missionary to the Gentiles. There were numerous times when he had to defend his apostleship and remind the people of the authority of his office that had come from Christ. But there was another side to Paul that came out at times when he reflected on himself in relation to who he was as an individual in the church relating to each other. In 1 Corinthians 15.9, he said, For I am the least of the apostles, whom am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. In Ephesians 3.8, he said, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, there's always two sides to those who have positions of visibility in the church, hold offices, pastors especially, elders, deacons. We, we look at them in terms of their office. We see them standing there, and you see them in terms of their office. But often if you talk to them, they recognize their office, and they recognize the importance of that office. But there's always another side to them. And that if you were to, to talk to them, most of them would, would admit to you they don't see themselves in terms of that office. I often have made the comment that it's odd to me to be the guy up here because I still in a lot of ways feel like that beer truck driver in Sacramento sitting in the pew, my wife nudging me to keep me awake. You know, it's, it's, it's how we view ourselves. It's how we relate to each other. And we all hold different places in the church and in each other's lives. But we're a family. 
And we function as a family. We don't view ourselves as some higher and some lower. No, we're all one together in Christ. The legacy of faith in the church is not about those who rise to greatness or power. It is not about preeminence. But it is about loving and serving one another. Jesus gave this parting insight to his disciples in John 15. In verses 12 and 13, he said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. I think about those words often. No greater love. Does it mean that I'm supposed to go and die on a cross as Jesus did? No. But Jesus gave all of who he was for our benefit, for the benefit of others, not for himself. And in the same way, we do that in the church as brothers and sisters in the Lord when our life is about the good of everyone else, in serving one another, in living for one another. That's how love is seen. Love is not words. Love is action. Love is not emotions. Love is dedication. Consider Jesus' rebuke to his disciples who were arguing on the way to Jerusalem for the final time with their Lord. You remember the scene? They're going along the road. Jesus is kind of up, and they're saying, hey, I'm going to be greater than you. Hey, who do you think is going to sit on that? Hey, when we get come into the kingdom, you know, who's going to, who's going to be the big, the big kahuna? Well, you know, you would think after three years they would understand that although they don't think the Lord's privy to what's going on, He always is. And he turns to them. And he speaks to them. He interjects into their conversation that to be great in the kingdom is to become a servant. When he washed their feet in the upper room, he he said that he did so as an example to them that no one is greater than the master. And who's the master? Jesus is the master. And what's the master doing? He's washing my feet. You remember that. The, the scene, you know, and then he comes to Peter, and Peter says, no, Lord, you're not washing my feet. And he says, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And he says, then wash all of me, typical Peter. And Jesus just shakes his head. You know, I'm, I'm sure that he got, Jesus got his neck exercises every time Peter was around because of Peter's overreaction to everything. But Peter had tremendous zeal. Maybe misdirected, misguided at times, particularly in these these years of training. But you can't ever fault him for having been all in. And Jesus says, there's no need for me to wash all of you. You are washed. I just need to clean the dust off your feet. But he 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 was demonstrating to his disciples that being great in the kingdom of God is not to be the guy up here. But it's the guy who has the towel over his shoulder because there's a need, and he's serving. And he's doing what needs to be done. He doesn't think, well, that's below me. There's nothing below him. Nothing below any of us. There's only those things that need to be done for the kingdom of Christ and those things that we need to step in and do.
there must be that willingness to serve the needs of others ahead of ourselves. And that's what it means as a Christian to leave a legacy. There are many in the church, but there are always those who stand out, who are set apart because of their Christian life and service. I've entitled the sermon, The Saints Set Apart, because in a sense, you've got all of these individuals, but Paul's picking out certain ones. Why? Because of their life. Because of what they reflect about Christian character. In Romans 16, Paul brings his letter to a close by, by first pointing out those that the Romans may well have known. They may have even been in Rome. Not all of them, but some, some of them. Who were examples uh, of what the Christian should be. And so as we, we think about these verses, these first 16 verses, the theme here is that in Paul's commendations, we learn what sets one apart as a pillar in the church. Now our two points, associations and aspirations, are not typical to my sermons. They're, they're a little more kind of moving in and out together. And will not, uh, they're not, they're not going to be necessarily separated per se. Um, it, it's more a looking at, at these individuals. And then maybe when we talk about aspirations, looking at, at what do we aspire to? So verse 16, Paul starts off. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. As Paul runs through the, the menu of names here in these verses, most of what we know of them is from the words here. In other words, we don't know. I could be running down a list of names of individuals in churches in California, and you'd kind of go, you might know a few of them. But I think in Rome, these names would have made sense. They would have understood. They would have known. If I were to speak of individuals in any of the churches around here, in Harriet or Eureka or Ashley or, or Minnow or Sioux Falls, you know, we, we would almost instantly know who we're talking about. They're standouts. And so as, as Paul runs through these lists, we, we see different names. But you must assume that these men and women are known by the people of Rome, of the Roman church. When Paul had not been in Rome as of yet, he had never traveled to Rome, he had interactions with these individuals throughout his life and ministry in that area of Asia and Jerusalem and various places. These are people who stood out to him as faithful in their life and service to the church of Christ. And so he opens with Phoebe, who from this, these two verses, it is concluded was an important figure in the church in Centria. Now where is Centria? Centria is part of Corinth. So it's, it's over into Greece. It's that, that you know, getting more to the, the western part of Paul's missionary journeys. And Paul is in Corinth and labored down. And Phoebe's, Phoebe's from there. 
Centuria is a, a little seaport village, town kind of out just there with Corinth. And so he identified her connections to the church and he called upon them to receive her and to assist her in whatever business she has need of you. Now it's probable that the business with which she came was carrying the letter of Paul to the Romans. And they were to assist her in seeing its dissemination to the church. And they're to assist her. She's not going to stand up and read it to them. She's bringing it and she's seeing that it, it, it um, is given a proper attention as Paul intended it. But there is something else to catch your attention about Phoebe. She is described as a servant of the church and a helper of many. Now, the word servant is the word that is also translated as deacon. And the word helper is a word meaning uh, patroness, which is someone who helps others, you know, quite often um, financially. It is thought that Paul actually stayed in the home of Phoebe at some point. Uh, that she held a formal office in the church, however, may be to read too much here. What some will try to, to work in here that, that she held an office of deaconess. But I, I think that Paul intends much more than trying to make the point of an office. What we should understand about Phoebe is that she was a woman who was probably of wealth, who used her wealth and position to further the work of the church. That she, that she held a formal office is not probably where we want to go, but rather that what Paul is seeking to impress upon us and upon the Romans by mentioning all of these people is that they are all people engaged actively in serving Christ. So employing the term deaconess would draw their attention to her activity in serving others. In other words, I think he's seeking to bring out all of these people that he's listing are church members. They're not office holders. They're not pastors and missionaries. They're church members. And so that being the case, Phoebe likewise is a church member who uses her life, her resources, to, to do what needs to be done. Paul's writing a letter, needs to go to Rome. And you can just imagine, Phoebe, I'll go. I'll go. The heart of the, the servant Something that needs to be done, and she can do it. So she, she volunteers. She comes. That is her legacy. And, and it sets her apart in her willingness to step in wherever she saw a need. That Paul sets her apart is evident from the words, in a manner worthy of the saints. Paul is telling the Romans to receive her, to get to know her because she is an example of Christian excellence. Her life has been committed to helping many, including Paul. Her priority was advancing the mission of the church, both her own and at large. Paul then commends another couple that we may recognize, Priscilla and Aquila. They're, they're mentioned three times in the book of Acts, and then Paul mentions them in three, three different places. So we're aware that they played a, a prominent role in terms of the New Testament church. This was a husband and wife team who were tent makers, but also served 
in missionary endeavors. They're probably best known for having taken Apollos under their wing when he was preaching the baptism of John because he hadn't heard about Christ. And they explained to him the full gospel of Christ. And Apollos said he goes on to become one of the great figures in the early church. And we recognize that name because in Corinth where it was that, that problem in the church of people aligning themselves with others, and some were of Apollos and some were with, of Paul and some were of, of Christ. You know, the, the Apollos was uh, known as a great orator. So, so we find uh, Priscilla and Aquila in that sense. But they also are known because Paul, they became companions of Paul. They were tent makers. And so Paul, as a tent maker likewise, came along. And uh, the, the idea is, the, the, the understanding is, that Paul probably met them because Paul's habit was to go into the synagogue when he came into a new town and sit down. And, and in a lot of the synagogues, the men would sit on one side and the women would sit on the other. And quite often they would sit by, by what they did. And so Paul kind of supported himself making tents. And went over and sat with the tent makers and probably sat down next to Aquila, struck up a conversation and became friends and, and became co-laborers. Often Priscilla seems to almost take the preeminence. You know, the, the idea that somehow women are to take a backseat and men are to do, do all the work in the church is borne out in the New Testament. Men have the responsibility of leadership and headship, but the activities of the ladies is coming out in this chapter as Paul commends Phoebe and commends Priscilla, commends, commends many. Uh, the reality is that in Christ we all have a role to play. Even our youngsters, when it comes to flipping pancakes. You know, that's, those are always good things. We're serving each other. Paul talked about Priscilla and Aquila, about their, their commitment to how they risked their own necks. I love that. That sounds like a Bob Grossman. Uh, he, he stuck his neck out there. Spared my neck. Their own lives to preserve us. While they would have initially met in the synagogue in Corinth, this couple was influential among the Gentile churches. As they, they traveled, working on tents, they would also promote the gospel. He also points to the church that's in their house, which would indicate that the people would gather in their house for worship. You know, there were no church buildings in those days, and gatherings would congregate in the homes of prominent members. Paul would come in, and he'd go in the synagogue, and they'd begin to preach Christ, and then quite often what would happen is whoever was the head rabbi in the synagogue, there'd be some jealousies that would spring up, and they would kick the Christians out, and they'd go out the door, and they'd go around the corner to one of the guy's houses, and they'd be in the house. And Priscilla and Aquila apparently opened their home quite often for the, the saints to gather to worship. So Paul said to greet not only his dear friends Priscilla and Aquila, but also all the saints who met in their home. You know, one of the, the weaknesses of the church today is that with the rise of church facilities, We've lost the opening of our homes to one another. The, the church building makes for a convenient gathering for the members. But there is something intimate about being 
in one another's home uh, that nurtures greater fondness for one another. The early church was described as one, uh, as one where they went from house to house breaking bread together. The concept of hospitality, of fellowship, of all of those kinds of things are important. I know when I, I was uh, considering going to seminary, one of the things the consistory um, encouraged, that's a nice way of saying they told me, <clears throat> was to do a home Bible study. We went through the book of Ephesians. Um, and we did that in a home Bible study from week to week. And uh, we had about 10 people, 10, 15 people. Uh, the little home Bible studies, um, a different way to do things, but an intimate way to do things. You can invite friends and various things. In verses 5 through 16, Paul runs off a list. And, and I, want, I want you to note how he speaks of these saints that by this chapter, he set apart for the church to take note of throughout all of history. I mean, think about that. You, you read through this and you go, eh, yeah, it's just a bunch of guys, you know, and kind of skip over it. They're in biblical history. And God doesn't make mistakes. We believe in an inerrant Bible, an infallible Bible, a Bible where all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So how do these verses fit that? Well, I think if we think about them, we think about what it is to be a church member, to be involved, to, to be a Christian, and what that means. We begin to get a glimpse of that in Paul's description of these individuals. Epinetus would have been one of Paul's first converts in Asia, but such attention is only worthy if Epinetus' faith endures to the end. Mary. Mary is described as having labored much for us. Andronicus and Junia may well have been Jerusalem Jews who were of note among the apostles and who had been imprisoned for their faith. Some hold that since Paul describes them as having been fellow prisoners, that they may have been in the Philippian jail when Paul and Silas were held there. That there were others in there that heard them praying and singing and that they may have been amongst that number. But what is also unique about them is that they had been followers of Jesus before Paul's conversion and may well have been among the group of disciples at the time of Jesus' death because there's not a lot of time distance between Paul's conversion and that. And it's of note. They're known by all the apostles. And Paul says, it's a big deal. They, they were early disciples. But then from verses 8 through 15, Paul rattled off several names not known beyond here. But given recognition to the church in Rome, what is of note is how he described them. My beloved, our fellow worker in Christ, my countrymen, those who have labored in the Lord and chosen in the Lord is how they're described. As you read through what many might gloss over, take time to pause and to, to see how these saints were set apart and pointed to because of their faith and devotion to the church. These aren't just pious platitudes. These are earned titles. 
Paul spoke here not so much as an apostle, but as a fellow saint in the church of the Lord Jesus. These are not pastors and elders, but members of the church who sought to serve the Lord. Well, what about us? What are our aspirations? How how would we measure up? If the Apostle Paul today were to, to write a letter and begin to speak about our congregation, what would he have to say? As you, you took that moment to, to look around and consider who in this church has made a real impact on you through their Christian faith, through the way they live their life, what stood out to you? Well, now I want you to switch shoes. Do you think that there are those in our congregation who, when they think of our church, you are one of the ones that come to their mind? Are are you someone the young can look up to and see your love for the Lord, your love for the church, and your love for them? Will that be your legacy? Will, Will what you leave as your gift or treasure for the next generation of others be the kind of legacy that we have here. You know, he ends with this statement, the greeting one another with a holy kiss. It was a sign of friendship and unity in the church. What stands out in this chapter is activity. What set these saints apart is that when they saw a need to serve Christ in the church, they stepped in. And they got busy no matter what the cost or the risk. They would stick their neck out to save another's neck. Well, where would you fall in that category? Do you wait to be asked? Do you have to be coerced? Or do you simply try to avoid having to be involved? Or do you step right in where there are things to do? Do you look to say, what needs to be done? Or what better can be done? What isn't being done that should be done? The ladies seem to be better at this than the men, which is unfortunate because God has created us men and called us to be leaders in our homes and in the church. The best way to serve one another is getting involved and not being reluctant. You know, we've all heard the saying, you get out of something what you put into it. There's a lot of truth to that. The more you invest yourself in something, the more you profit from it. As Christians, we should aspire to achieve great things in the church, not for our preeminence, but for the growth and advancement of the gospel of Christ in our brothers and our sisters. Do do you ever think about the promise that you make every time we baptize a child? You make a promise to all these children that are growing up. You've made a promise to aid them in their growth in faith and their walk with the Lord. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever pray about that? One of the things that once in a while I mention is that we need to know each other, not hang out in little groups where the same week we always talk to the same people, but to go to someone you don't know that well in the congregation, and say, how are you doing? And get to know them, that brother or that sister. As Christians, we should aspire 
to achieve great things in the church. No greater calling do we have than to love one another by putting those who are around us in a prominent place in the activities of our lives. Christ is our great example who humbled himself even to the death of the cross so that through him we might have life abundant. We deny ourselves and we take up the cross of Christ when we dedicate our lives to the good of one another and to the furtherance of the church. Amen? Let's rise for prayer. Our Father in God, the church is not the building. It's not the massive uh, cathedrals, as beautiful as those are. They're just brick and mortar. The church is the people of God. Those whom the Holy Spirit moves within, who grow and struggle and love one another. So Father, help us in our own life, even as you have have given to us that heart of flesh. And the love that you have poured in upon us is a love that we do have for one another. And it's evident, Father. It's evident in our midst. We pray, O Father, that we may cherish that, that we may continue to nurture that, that we would never be satisfied with complacency, but always be compelled to greater service, that the name of Christ may be exalted. Hear us now as we praise you've taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.